Welcome to Future Impact Academy, a creative education initiative bringing multidimensional worldviews and perspectives to help evolve enlightenment and empathy in each individual and form a more compassionate future world. Future Impact Academy, wider perspectives, richer souls. What we call social and emotional learning or social and emotional intelligence has five fundamental components. And these are essential components for happiness and well-being. The first one is self-awareness, recognizing one's emotions and values as well as one's strengths and challenges. The second one is self-management, managing emotions and behaviors to achieve one's goals. The third one is social awareness, showing understanding and empathy for others. Fourth one is relationship skills, forming positive relationships, working in teams, dealing effectively with conflicts. And the fifth one is responsible decision-making making ethical, constructive choices about personal and social behaviors. So let's go. So self-awareness begins with mindfulness of body, breathing, emotion and mind, what we have just um, practiced a few minutes ago. I will maybe stop sharing my screen for a while so that uh, we can you can see me, I will rather talk about it now than showing you too many uh, pictures. Uh, I would like to speak about uh, self-awareness and self-management. So a lot of the problems that we have come from the fact that we don't really know ourselves. We have emotions as human beings. It's part of being human that we have emotions, but more often than not, we only become aware of our emotions when they are very strong, especially difficult emotion, painful emotion, and um, it's a bit late to deal with them. So, so for instance, um, somebody tells me something at work or at home uh, that hurts me. I feel uh, hurt by what something somebody has told me. And somehow I right away feel a kind of unease but I don't really, I'm not really aware of it, consciously aware of it. It's just a kind of unease. And then maybe, you know, I sort of brush it aside, but maybe in the evening when I'm lying in my bed, the thoughts comes back and the scene that happens come back in my mind. You know, oh, why did she tell, tell me this? Why did he uh, behave in an unkind way or something like that, you know? And then it turns in my head and I cannot fall asleep. I'm somehow, you know, uh, nervous and I cannot stop this, this constant uh, in a um, uh, in a kind of a movie, if you want. Yeah, it's like if you were looking at a film in your head. And this comes from the fact that we are not able to identify our emotions early enough. We identify once they are already quite strong and overwhelming. And then we don't know how to deal with it, to transform it. So self-awareness and self-management is about two things. One is becoming aware of our emotions, learning how to name them, to recognize them. 
to acknowledge them. It's no point pretending they're not there because they are there. But if we can name them, recognize them, acknowledge them, then we can also transform them. As long as we deny our emotions, we cannot transform them. And the, this is one part. How do we deal with difficult emotions? The other part is how do we cultivate consciously positive emotions? Because more often than not, our emotions just happen randomly. And in schools, we were never taught how to deal with our emotions, how to transform painful emotions, how to cultivate positive emotions. And yet, to be able to do that is one of the foundation of a happy and meaningful life, that we know how to deal with our emotions. And our mind, our heart, are, you can compare it with a garden. And in a garden, you can plant seeds. But then it's not enough to plant seeds. If you have a garden and you plant seeds, you have to water the seeds, you make, have to make sure there's enough sun, enough air and so on. And then the seed would grow and will bring about fruits and, and flowers and, and you will have a beautiful garden. So in the garden of your mind, in the garden of your heart, it is very much the same thing. Which one are the seeds that you want to cultivate? And you can consciously decide that I want to cultivate seeds such as gratitude, compassion, kindness, generosity, and so on. And if you plant these seeds in your mind, and if you cultivate them regularly, this is the garden that will flourish in your mind. But if you let it happen randomly, there will be as much um, bad poisonous fruits uh, in your mind or in the garden of your mind and of your heart, then there will be good fruits. So it's about becoming a gardener of one's own heart and mind, planting consciously good seeds, nurturing and watering these good seeds, and learning to transform painful emotions, to recognize them early on, to acknowledge them, and to take care of them with our mindfulness. Because mindfulness has the, has the capacity to transform. So this is the first part, self-awareness, self-transformation. And this is intimately connected with the third and the fourth competency, which is social awareness and uh, relationship building. So social awareness, the foundation of social awareness is our ability to listen. Now you might think, of course I can listen. I'm not deaf, so I can listen. But try to observe yourself carefully, honestly. And then you will notice that in the course of the day, more often than not, when people speak, you're not really listening deeply. Oftentimes we are listening very superficially. Maybe we're already thinking, what am I going to respond? Especially when we have a maybe a tension with someone, a dispute, then we don't really listen. We're just trying to find arguments against the other person. So our ability to listen deeply is the foundation of good human relationships. To listen with empathy, to listen with compassion, to listen with understanding. You see, if I may share my own experience, I've been married now for this year. My wife, Lucia and I are celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary. We married when we were very young. I was 20 and she was 18. And now, uh, this September, it will be our 50th wedding anniversary. 
And I, when, when I look back at 50 years of living together, what I notice is what has made it possible for us to live together such a long time, but not only to live together, but honestly speaking, to live happily together. And those of you who know us and know that some of our friends are maybe in the uh, in, uh, part of the listeners, they know that it's not an empty w word. Lisi and me, we really live happily together. We care for one another. We love each other. We enjoy being together. And that was one of the reasons why the lockdown was not difficult for us, because it was no problem for us to spend many months just the two of us together because we enjoy each other's company. But how come after so many years? I believe that one of the key is that we've always listened to each other very attentively. You see, when you first meet someone, let's say you fall in love, then you're very interested in the other person. And when he or she speaks, you are listening so intensely and you cannot wait until you will meet them again and so on. But when you live together after a while, it feels like you take it for granted. You have the feeling, oh, I know the other person. I already know what she's going to say, what he's going to say. We lose interest. We don't listen anymore. And we don't. when we don't listen anymore, the relationship deteriorates. The, rela the relationship disappears. Because the relationship, again, is like a garden. It has to be nurtured. It has to be watered. You cannot expect to have a, a beautiful orchid in your, in, in your apartment and that it will bloom even though you don't care about it, you don't water it, you, don't, you are not attentive, it has enough light and so on. It will die if, it, if you do that. If you want your plant to grow and to continue to bloom, you know very well that you have to take care of it. You have to water it. You have to maybe prune it. You have to uh, put a bit of, uh, uh, you know, add something to the earth and, and so on and so forth. But a relationship is exactly the same, you see. And when we're so busy making money, uh, striving after success, getting a big position, more often than not, we don't have time for our loved ones anymore. We don't have time for our wife or husband. We don't have enough time for our kids. And then relationship falls apart because we are not really listening to them. We don't spend enough time with them. So relationship building needs presence. I have to be there, truly there, not physically, only physically, you know, I'm there with my body, but I'm looking at my phone. So I'm not there, right? Uh, so often I see in, in restaurant a family and, and then the mother and the father are looking at their phones and maybe the kids are playing some video games during the dinner and nobody's looking at one another and nobody's listening or talking to one another. And that's the recipe for disaster. Such a family cannot really become a happy family. Relationship needs presence, needs time, needs listening, needs needs talking with one another, needs nurturing, needs doing fun things together, and so on. So social awareness is the foundation of relationship building, but it's a work, it's like an engagement. It just, ha it doesn't happen by itself. It has to become a priority. And we know from a lot of research, we have a lot of research evidence that the one factor that has the strong and Im strongest impact on happiness and well-being is the quality of human relationships. Harvard University has conducted a study over um, more than 50 years, uh, even I think 60 years. And so many generations of uh, researchers have continued this study. And it was a study where 
they uh, um, um, had a cohort of young people and they followed them throughout their life with regular uh, assessments and so on to try to figure out what were the factors that were the most important for uh, happiness, satisfaction, health, and so on. So, um, and uh, a couple of years ago, the, 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 the study was finalized because most of the people were dying out who had, had been part of this cohort. And very inter interestingly, uh, there were two cohorts. One were Harvard students. So, you know, in, in the US, Harvard students is like the best of the best, the cream, uh, socially, intellectually, and so on and so forth. And the other one were uh, working class people from the Boston area. So Harvard is in the Boston area, so same, same province. But they were working class people. And they followed these two groups throughout their life. And then in the beginning of their life, um, being a Harvard graduate or being a working class makes a lot of difference, obviously. But the more time goes on, the less this original difference uh, has such a strong impact on the happiness and well-being. And then by the end of the study, when they tried to figure out what was the factor that had the strongest correlation with happiness, self-reported satisfaction, good mental health, good physical health, and so on and so forth, it was quality of human relationship. So those people who had good human relationship, being it in their family or with friends or in their church, it doesn't matter what kind of relationship, but just strong, really long-lasting, um, trustful relationship. These were the people who were healthier, happier, had a, a longer life expectancy, reported more satisfaction and so on and so forth. So we cannot underestimate the importance of human relationships. If we are striving towards happiness, we need to put a lot of emphasis, a lot of attention on our relationships. And of course, family, but also colleagues at work, our friends and so on. And those of you who, who know um, Lissy and me know that um, we have a lot of friends. Because the relationship that I have with my wife and with our children, we also have a wonderful relationship with our children, is not only for us. You know, when you have strong relationships, loving relationships, then it radiates. It's also a contribution that you are doing for society. So investing in your family, in your friends, is not a selfish thing. It really is a positive contribution to society. So it's really one thing that I would like to emphasize very strongly because I really believe in it very, very strongly, that um, for me, maybe the two uh, most important factors, factors when you look at happiness and well-being is self-knowledge, self-awareness, self-management, self-transformation. Because if you don't know yourself, if you don't know how to deal with your own emotions, it's very difficult to create meaningful relationship with others. And the second is, social awareness and strong, um, uh, trustful, long-lasting relationships, being it with your family, with your colleagues, with your friends. Um, and I really believe that these are some key factors for happiness and well-being. So I will, I will share again. Just give me a minute, I have to find the 
Okay, so I will pass uh, these slides because I've already discussed them. Uh, and I will send the, the, the deck so you can uh, um, you can read them quietly at home. I will uh, give a PDF version to the organizers and uh, you're welcome to download them so that you have more details. Uh, I'm going a bit faster so that we have the time to look at the full uh, picture. So living in harmony with oneself living in harmony with others were the two first components that I've uh, discussed so far. Um, and just before I go to the third one, just another a few words about uh, these two first that are so important in my view. You see, as human beings, uh, we will have trials. We will go through difficult moments in our lives. Um, now many of you are experiencing a time like that, like because of the COVID. Uh, it might be a loss, you lose a loved one, or uh, it might be that you lose your job, or it might be that you get a severe illness. So it's part of human life to have strong challenges. But if you have the resource of uh, living in harmony with yourself and living in harmony with others, you will find the resources and the strength to uh, face these challenges. With um, and have the the energy, the courage to to overcome the challenges. Myself, you know, I also, of course, like everyone else, I had many challenges in my life. Uh, my wife and I, we lost a child uh, when she was a baby, and it was a, a really, you know, for those of you who have. Ex I don't wish to anyone to to experience that, but if somebody has experienced it, you know that losing a child is a is a tremendous suffering. But then if there's, you know, mutual support and love and understanding, then you can overcome it, you can transform it. You can you can get over it. You know, you don't fall into despair or depression. So as long as we are not in a time of big challenges, is the time where we need to strengthen ourselves and strengthen our relationships so that when we are confronted with ma major challenges, then we have the strengths, the energy, the resources to meet these challenges. So it's in, in, in good times that you prepare so that when the difficult times come up, then uh, you can face it. Just wanted to add that. So the next uh, dimension is living in harmony with nature and the planet. So this has become very, very important in our time because of the ecological challenges that we are facing and uh, it is important to realize that you know without any uh, ecological awareness then humankind is going towards a, a catastrophe but our ecological awareness should not lead us to despair or to uh, pessimism pessimism it should uh, uh, give us the energy to contribute in a positive way to the development of society in a more ecological way. And I think that the awareness of interdependence, realizing that we are not separate from nature, we are part of nature, and what happens to nature happens to us. If we destroy nature, we are destroying ourselves and we are destroying other species. So interdependence is the foundation. And the second one is compassion. We have to realize that all life forms can feel suffering. 
Not only humans can feel suffering, all life forms. Our planet herself is a living being. It's not just a heap of dirt and, and a chemical mixture or something like that, or atoms or something. It's a being. It's a living being. It's a beautiful living being. And all life forms, animals and plants and forests and rivers and oceans are beings. And we need to open our heart to include all life forms in our ability to feel compassion for them so that we feel responsible to care, take care of them as we would take care of other people. They are our companions. They are our friends. It is through them that we are alive. If we destroy them, we kill ourselves. And this is something that I really enjoyed very much when I was in Bhutan, was that for the Bhutanese, this awareness of the aliveness of nature, of this beingness of nature, was very, very strong. And that enabled them to have a very natural kind of ecological consciousness. And, you know, um, Bhutan is the only country in the world that is not only carbon neutral, but carbon negative. It means they capture more CO2 that they that they uh, produce CO2. And if more countries uh, would go in this direction, uh, that would be the solution. And we can. We have the technological means to do it. It's just a matter of consciousness, political and economic will to do it. And one of the contribution that everyone can do easily is supporting ecological agriculture, biological agriculture, biodynamic agriculture. We have a, a community in, in, in Vietnam, in Hue, in, in Vietnam, central Vietnam, called the Peaceful Bamboo Family. And the first thing that we did when we created our community was to create a biodynamic garden, a ecological garden. And ecological garden or biodynamic garden or, uh, you know, bio garden has two positive impact. One is, is very healthy for you if you eat organic food. It's much healthier. Otherwise, you poison yourself when you eat chemicals all the time. So it's good for you. But it's also good for the earth because through a biodynamic garden, you are actually protecting and nourishing the earth. So it's a win-win. So as consumer, we should really emphasize we should try to buy as local as possible, as organic as possible. It's good for us and it's good for the earth. And in our in our garden in, in Hue, we have thousands of school kids coming every every year to learn how to uh, take care of the earth. And now we are creating a new garden uh, uh, that is specifically for the, the children of the public schools so that they can come and experience nature because, you know, so many people, uh, children growing up in cities have completely lost the connection with nature. And if you don't have the connection with nature, you will never be able to protect it because you have you know, you protect what you know, what you care for. So we need to bring up our children's children with a experience of nature, care for nature. So even though more, many of you live in a big city like Ho Chi Minh City, and I know now you are in lockdown, so it's difficult to get out in nature, but as much as possible and whenever it will be, be possible again, if you have kids, please try to expose them to natural experience. Screens and TV is not enough for children to grow up. They need to see, touch, feel, experience plants and animals and trees and rivers and lakes and oceans because that's the real world. So please, if you are parents, try to 
you know, encourage your children to be as much as possible in touch with nature. It's a great gift you give them for their whole life, much more than computer skills. This they will, will be easy for them to capture up. But if they have didn't have the connection with nature as children, it's very difficult later to, uh, to catch up. And so it means as humankind, we have to move from what has been dominant in the past century, like ego consciousness, right? Self-centered ego consciousness with humans are so much more important than all the rest, especially men are so much more important than all the rest. We have to move away from that and become aware it's a circle of life. We are all interdependent. If other species dies sooner or later, we will die. If we destroy the forest and, the o- and we pollute the oceans and the river, there's no future for humankind. So we need to develop an ecosystem awareness, not an ego system awareness. Me, myself and I, what I need, what I want. I want to become rich and powerful and famous and God knows what. That will never bring me happiness and develop ecosystem awareness. One life. We are one life all together. And by protecting other life forms, I'm, it's the best way I can contribute to protecting myself, my family, my children. You know, in um, we have been promoting uh, this kind of uh, attitude now for many years, and and um, we're also in touch with um, uh, with European countries. And one example. Uh, that was inspired by uh, Bhutanese gross national happiness was Wales. Wales, you know, it's part of the United Kingdom, one of the provinces of United Kingdoms, Wales. And now, um, a, a few years ago, Wales has promoted a law that is called the Well-being of Future Generations Act. The Well-being of Future Generation Acts. It means every decision that the Welsh government does uh, takes has to be screened from the perspective, how will it, will it affect future generations? See, it's very simple. It's not something very complex. But if all political, economic, social choices would be done with bearing in mind, what impact will it have on not only my children, but my grandchildren and their children? Then we would take a lot of very wise decisions. And a lot of the destruction comes from this very short-sighted you know, we only think, okay, the next few years and how can I maximize profit and, and things like that. Not taking into consideration that what really matters is what will be the impact on the long run. So ecosystem awareness has two dimensions. One is spatial, if you want. We are aware of all the other species. We are aware of uh, other life forms, but also timeline. We are aware of the consequence of my behavior on future generations and each one of us can contribute so we had campaigns for instance in 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 um, in, Huey, in the, uh, we have this happy school program i will say a few words about it later and uh, we asked children to take initiative so you know they are school children they're 9 10 11 years old they don't have any power they don't have any position they, so you could say oh they, there's nothing can, they can do there's so much they can do. They came up with fantastic ideas. For instance, they started making their own paper bags, self-made paper bags with old paper, so that they don't didn't have to use plastic bags to carry their, you know, lunch or sweets or something like that. You know, very simple. You know, self-made, and then they decorated it beautifully, and and that's a real contribution because, like, 
if the, I don't know exactly how many million children you have in Vietnam in schools, but maybe 20 or 30 million children, imagine when if you had 20 or 30 million plastic bags less every day, that's a huge contribution. And that's little children. Or many of the schools are, we are working with in the Happy School program now create their own school garden so that, you know, not only concrete, but plants and uh, flowers, trees, so, you know, it's possible to be active at every level. Don't wait until you're CEO of a big company or uh, uh, president of the People's Committee of your city to start acting. You can, each one of us can act here and now. Okay, so I will go quite rapidly uh, through the last part, which is uh, giving example how this happiness idea can be implemented in real life. So it's not just for myself, not only you know, something inward, it's also something that, that can really transform society. And the first di dimension, the first domain, the first field of implementation is education. So we've developed a happy school project in Vietnam. Now we have over three years. Uh, for the time being, it's mainly in Hue. Um, and if you're interested in that, you can con contact our team in Hue. I believe that some of our team members are part of the audience today and they can tell you in much more details uh, how we have implemented these happiness skills in the schools in Vietnam. Public schools, not private schools, just normal public schools from primary to lower secondary to higher secondary. So it's feasible in Vietnam. We are doing the same now in Switzerland. Uh, we have also a, a happy school program in Switzerland. And otherwise, we're also working with universities. So in the management school in Geneva, we have a, um, a, a program called Happy Organizations. Uh, and uh, we are training managers. It's a one year ongoing program. I mean, it's for people who are working. So they just come for like, you know, four times, three days during a year. And, and they learn these skills practically and how to implement them in their, in their uh, company or their organization. And we have the same in Germany. So these are just some examples. I show you a few pictures. Uh, this was the, um, you know, the, the program in, in Germany. This is the leaflet, uh, and that's the advanced certificate of advanced studies. Bonheur dans les organisations means happiness in organization. That's the Geneva Management School. And you know, if there's interest, we could also create one in Vietnam. Why not? And so these were, for instance, the German uh, group. So you see they are adults. They are all managers, directors, uh, you know, school directors, uh, high-level managers, CEOs, all kind of people. And for one year, uh, they've been training. And that was the, one of the groups in Geneva University uh, that's been going through this program, also like a one-year program. So this is one way uh, in education. The next one is uh, uh, focusing a little bit more on happy school in Vietnam and in Switzerland. Uh, so uh, I wrote a, a curriculum together with uh, our team. Uh, so it's not just me, it's really a teamwork. And, um, and so this curriculum exists. It's a, tr it's a teacher training uh, program for uh, happy schools. Uh, it's three modules. And the three modules are based on what I spoke about today. Self-care, so learning to, to self-care, to live in harmony with oneself, care for others and society, relationship building, social skills, and then care for environment and the planet. So these are the three modules. 
that the teachers go through and then we help them implement it in the classroom and in the schools. So again, this is an example of uh, mindfulness practice in, um, in a school in Hue, primary school in Hue. But as I said, we also have secondary school and higher secondary school. And so if you're interested in that, there's a very nice film about, I think, 35 minutes or so film that we made in Hue. Uh, maybe our Vietnamese team, if there's any of our team members in the here, uh, you can send it to the organizer, the link to the, it's a, you can find it on YouTube. And, or, no, it's, I'm not sure if it's YouTube. Anyway, we can send you the link. And, um, and also, if you're interested to understand more about Happy Schools, you can see the film. It's in Vietnamese, so, um, and it has English subtitles for those, if there are some foreigners amongst you, among you. So that's Happy School. It's been going for three years uh, and um, the results have been really very interesting. Uh, we see that a lot of progress uh, in, the, in the students, a better concentration, a better climate in school, um, you know, much more self-awareness, social awareness, less bullying. And also we had very positive feedback from the teachers that, it, you know, some teachers said one teacher, for instance, said, she says it in the film, you know, at one point I had forgotten why I had become a teacher. I didn't have any, you know, really enthusiasm for my work anymore. And after going through this program, I remind, I was reminded, why am I a teacher? You know, and she's, so this kind of strong motivation uh, that they realize school is not only about grades and academic achievement. Uh, school is also about helping children to become happy people harmonious, well-developed, happy people. So that's Happy Schools. And, and here you see, uh, this is one of the teachers in the wheelchair that trained with us in Germany. So she's a, in, a, in a wheelchair, she's physically handicapped and she's a, a higher secondary school teacher and she introduced mindfulness uh, in her classroom also. And the new project we're working on right now is what we call the Youth Learning Lab. The idea is to offer uh, for young people in transition when they don't know exactly, you know, what they should study or uh, what next. So to offer them one year uh, where they can both learn these skills, uh, you know, in kind of a retreat, seminar kind of form. And then uh, we give them the opportunity to meet places that are already implementing this kind of new development paradigm like our community in Hue, and we have partners in, in Sweden, in Germany, in many countries in the US, in France, and, and so on. So young people have the opportunity to learn and then to do hands-on experience. Really, you know, to learn uh, practically what does it look like when you try to live in a different way, not just following the normal pattern. So that's the program we're developing right now. That's the next project, and, and my hope because, you know, it has become very common that young Westerners um, become, because they come from rich countries, they take a, a gap year between high school and university and they travel the world or go in a farm or do something like that. But for young Vietnamese, it's much more difficult because, uh, you know, it takes some resources. So I, I'm, we are trying to, to fundraise to create a fund so that also young Vietnamese people can get the same chance and opportunity to meet the world, get different experiences, that it's not limited to young people from rich countries uh, and that young Vietnamese people can also get this chance. Because I think it's really wonderful for young people to meet a different culture, to experience different places, to uh, meet with other people. 
Um, so yeah, so that's one of the ideas that we are having and we are going to launch a fundraising campaign to try to find money for young Vietnamese people to have also the chance to experience something like that. So before I close, just a few words about happiness in business. Uh, so uh, these are four examples, there are more, but these are four important examples of how to implement happiness in business. Uh, the first experience that we did was with a big uh, energy company in Thailand called Bigrim, the largest energy company. And, uh, you know, we worked with them for three years. And in the meantime, they are almost 100% renewable energy. They are the largest solar energy provider in all of Southeast Asia. Uh, it was a fantastic program, uh, very interesting. Another example is um, Alien Fisher in the US. Uh, it's a fashion industry and fashion industry is very polluting. And, uh, and uh, together with her, uh, we've worked and she has developed a circular economy. So if you buy clothes from Alien Fisher and once you don't want them anymore, you can send them back to them and they will recycle them. So there's no waste and many other things. Uh, very interesting program and then my pet project, my, the one I love more than any other, is the Happy Beaties project. Happy Beaties project in Vietnam. I believe that uh, Cindy Wu, the CEO of uh, Beaties, is with us today. At least she had planned to come, uh, and uh, we've been working together for for about three years now. And uh, uh, I don't want to say too much about it. If you're interested in hearing how a company is implementing happiness in Vietnam. Uh, please contact with uh, with Cindy. Uh, she's an amazing person and a great CEO. And um, and I've been so impressed by the way she really has implemented uh, this happiness concept in her company. And the latest example is that when the pandemic started and uh, you had the big lockdown in um, in Saigon, she organized free meals for people in need. And I think they have been providing already more than 50,000 meals with, with Happy Beaties. But that's just one project about many, many others. Uh, so that's a great example to show you that even if you're a business person, you can still use your company and your position in the business world to make contribution uh, towards a happy uh, society and having happy workers and happy stakeholders. Uh, so um, I would really encourage the business people around, among you to connect with uh, Bitis and with Cindy and uh, get inspired how business can be a force for the good in society. And last example is uh, SEG uh, Switzerland. That's again a energy company. It's the biggest water electricity, internet, and waste management provider in Geneva uh, province. And uh, they're also a company that is implementing happiness um, and gross national happiness concepts in their company and in a society. And they are also, they are 100% renewable energy already. They have already reached that, 100% renewable energy. So just to tell you that uh, this idea of happiness in society is not just something like a dream or something you do when you meditate in your room. It can really become a guiding principle for our work also in society, being it in education, uh, in companies, in, um, in um, NGOs and so on. And that's what we're trying to promote. So that was Be Grim. Uh, they, they redefined their, 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 
vision and doing business with compassion for the development of civilization in harmony with nature. And it's not just words, it's really the way they function. A few pictures, these are all the senior executives from from B. Grimm. We're holding a retreat with them. And uh, then they introduced mindfulness even in their factories. So you see, they start the day with a moment of mindfulness with their with their blue collar workers, not only that, but of course, also um, uh, with their managers. And now every uh, management meeting begins with a moment of mindfulness and checking in and so on and so forth. So these are practices that can be implemented even in the business world. Okay, and so to end, um, you know, I would like to leave you with the question, you know, how can you cultivate happiness in your family, at work and in society? For those of you who want to uh, have more understanding, uh, I, my, my book was translated and in, into Vietnamese and is available now. So, of course, in an hour and a half, I, cannot, I can only give you a few hints. But in the books, uh, you will have much more detail, for instance, how do you measure happiness in, 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 uh, in a company? How do you implement it in schools and so on? So there are details. And, uh, and finally, this is the link to our organization. It's, it means Eurasia Learning Institute for Happiness and Wellbeing. Eurasia Learning Institute for Happiness and Wellbeing, E-L-I-H-W.org. There you can follow activities or send us messages if you want to connect with us. Okay, I think I'm almost good with the timing. Okay, okay. Thank, thank you, Thai. Yeah, uh, I think that we will move to Q and A section now. Thank uh, you. I will I, I will hold from now, and uh, 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 thank organizer. Uh, they have opened the chat box again, and if fans uh, you want have uh, live question uh, to Thai, okay, retire your question in, into the chat box. It's uh, it's open again now. Okay. Uh, Okay, uh, thank you for the recent sharing. I think it's a lot of food for talk uh, for our audience, I get, or at least to me. And in uh, in this time constraint Q and A today, I will I will try to narrow down the question into one category. One category, I believe that it will be beneficiary for all of audience in in the current context of pandemic. Yeah, I will try to focus on uh, emotional management. I want to focus on the social and emotional management. I think it's, it's uh, the kinds of knowledge and the kind of skill set and the kinds of uh, emerging needs uh, all of us especially for the people in human city now they, they really want uh, want to learn more from you okay yeah so so first of all uh, we will focus on on, on, on this category and um, okay uh, but uh, I will start with a very personal question uh, uh, in, in order to enable on audience to get closer to you before into further question very personal question. I, uh, we, we wonder when you started the journey of finding your inner happiness and uh, sorry for a question out of mass curiosity uh, have you been successful or successful to the level you think is good and if it is a yes can you tell can you tell us when and and, and especially uh, can you give us some advice how how you how you recognize that and one one more extra note uh, into the question to, to ask it a little bit in depth. Uh, I I really love the concept. Uh, happiness is moving from from our uh, from me to us, from myself to ourselves. But I am just question. I just question how how it could be when if there there may be conflicts. Uh, 
if we take an act for order and it's, it, it's will not be conflicts with our benefit i think it's, it's it's easy but when if they had a conflict or a little bit broader conflict with our family benefits how can we abroad this time and it's 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 great it can it, uh share some personal uh story from your side yeah this is the very first question yeah okay thank you so I'm, I'm i'm not sure i fully understood the second part of the question but let me begin with the first part and then maybe you can reformulate the second part so uh my own my own happiness journey that that was the question right so actually my own happiness journey began very early on uh so when i was a student i, I was very socially engaged politically engaged uh, and i thought that uh, the best way i could contribute was to be you know engaged politically socially and like that but then uh, i was a little bit disappointed with my social action political action i felt that the result were not as good or as effective as i would have hoped and uh, then i um when i was 19 or so uh, i was traveling in 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 asia actually in um, um i i mean the, the full story is that, you know my father was vietnamese and my mother was french but i grew up in europe because my father was a diplomat who we were abroad that's why i don't speak vietnamese we spoke french at home uh, because my mom didn't speak uh, vietnamese uh, but I, i had a vietnamese passport and uh, so in 1969 i was supposed to go back to vietnam and but it was the war time i mean you know 69 was the worst time of the american war and so my father discouraged me because he said if you go back to vietnam you're a vietnamese citizen you will be drafted in the army and you don't even speak vietnamese you will have a lot of problems right <laughs> so i said don't do that so i was with him i was on my way to vietnam then i stopped in thailand and then i dis- so he went back to vietnam and i decided to go to um, to india and to um, nepal and then i went for a hike in the mountains in nepal at that time there was no trekking no agency it was like completely wild and i i got i was with friends but to cut a long story short i got lost and and i thought i would die so i had what now is known under the under the name of near death experience you know so when you think that you are going to die um priorities change uh, your picture is do you still hear me hello do you still hear me because your picture is frozen does anyone hear me yes 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 because because the picture is frozen over there but if you hear me that then it's okay so so at at this moment where i was in a situation where i i thought that i was going to die i i experienced different things first of all i experienced a lot of uh, negative emotions like fear and anger and um despair and so on you know i was just 18 years old you know and the idea that i would die as an 18 year old was very very distressing for me but what happened and at that time i didn't really understand even how it happened what happened was that after a while of going through very very difficult emotions i came to sort of a, a place within me that was absolutely peaceful and uh, and and uh, still and uh, uh, actually full of happiness but it was a happiness that was not depending on anything exterior i realized within my own my own heart there is a place where there is 
where happiness and peace can always be found. So that was the experience. Then, you know, many things happen. Obviously, I didn't die, otherwise I wouldn't be here today. You know, somebody came back and I was rescued and so on and so forth. But then, from then on, I, I really tried to understand what was it that I had experienced. And it had happened to me without me knowing how it happened, but it happened naturally. And so I was trying to find a conscious way to find again this place within me. And that's why I started, when I started getting interested in meditation and mindfulness and, and things like that. So you see my, my path of mindfulness has started uh, more than 50 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I cannot say uh, it's done because it's a process. It's an ongoing process. But what I can say with, uh, with full honesty is that uh, I, I have an inner stability that cannot easily be shaken, no matter what happens around me. So for instance, uh, last year I had a very serious disease, life-threatening disease, and I had to undergo two very major surgical operations. And although my body was very weak and you know I was very sick, my mind was very peaceful. My heart was very peaceful because I have learned to cultivate this inner stability and uh, of course, you know, I'm a human being, therefore, sometimes I'm happier, sometimes I'm more sad. And, you know, it's not that I'm not, I'm just a normal human being. But at the same time, there I know and I can access a place in my heart, in my mind, that is peaceful, that is stable, that doesn't get, uh, you know, overrun by external circumstances. That's the one thing. The other thing is, and I mentioned it, that from very early on, my, so my, I, I married my wife when I was 20 and she was 18. We were very, very young. And as I described, we have a very strong connection, very strong love and a beautiful family. But we always knew it's not just for us. It's not just about ourselves. It's really a way that we contribute, that we can contribute. So for me, there's not a polarity between, you know, my, the interest of my family and the interests of society. It's... Uh, it's one thing. It's like, if I can uh, be a good husband, a good father, a good grandfather, you know, I have five grandchildren, um, and, and soon I will become a great grandfather because my first granddaughter is uh, pregnant and will have a child by the end of the month. So I, soon I will be a good, a great grandfather. So, <laughs> uh, so anyway, I know that if I am a good husband, a good father, a good grandfather, hopefully soon a good great grandfather, this is also a very concrete contribution to society because by being a happy family i raise up happy children and now that my children are, have grown up i can honestly say they're wonderful people and they continue doing what we did with them with their own children you know and, and my my daughter is a medical doctor my son is an educationist and, and both are doing wonderful work and i see that we've nourished them and they continue that and they nourish their own children yeah. You know, so it's, it's a oneness. It's a oneness. Mm, okay. Congratulations, Mike. Yeah, congratulations for your granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> Great granddaughter. <laughs> Great granddaughter. <laughs>